Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, You've heard about this proposed merger between Kroger and Albertsons. Uh, Kroger... uh, I'm surprised you know about grocery stores. <laughs> uh, it's the business no, of them, right? Sure, no, not actually being in them. I know. When was the last time you were in? Them. When was the last time you were in a grocery store? Late nineties. <laughs> uh, Kroger has proposed uh, pay to pay uh, twenty five billion dollars for Albertsons. The merger would put uh, the grocery store behemoth on par with Walmart in terms of size. Wow. Uh, but uh, running into some friction from the federal government, uh, questions about uh, antitrust issues. And uh, this brings us to Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas and his grilling of Kroger CEO Rodney McMullen. And it's a case study in response to the question, what should conservatives do? In response to woke corporations, Kroger is one. Rod Dreher calls it uh, the most woke of the grocery chains. How do we fight? How do we fight not just uh, federal government encroachments, but corporate encroachments? Well, here's how the conversation began between Cotton, Senator Cotton, and Kroger CEO Rodney McMullen. Uh, Tom Cotton telling some things to Rodney McMullen he apparently didn't know were going on in his own company, which was interesting. You recently agreed to pay $180,000 to settle a religious discrimination case in Conway, Arkansas. In that case, two Kroger employees, Brenda Lawson, age 72, and Trudy Rickard, age 57, uh, declined the uh, directive, to begin wearing a new store apron with a multicolored heart symbol on it. They, like many other of your employees, felt uncomfortable with the new aprons because they thought the heart resembled a gay pride symbol. Rather than make accommodations, Kroger fired these two employees. One employee simply asked to cover the symbol with a name tag, but Kroger refused even that reasonable accommodation. Are you aware of these terminations, Mr. McMullen? Uh, Senator, I am, I am not. This was not a private lawsuit either by two disgruntled employees, Mr. Mullen. This was brought by the EEOC. So are you not aware when your company is sued for religious discrimination by the United States government? Uh, no, sir, I am not. Not always. Well, I'm disappointed by that. Um, are you aware that Mr. Mo- or Mr. McMullen, are you aware that Kroger has something called an allyship guide for its employees? Uh, yes, Senator. Okay. Um, 
in the allyship guide, you direct employees to stop using sir and ma'am because they're not inclusive. Do you expect 72-year-old employees in rural areas of Arkansas to really stop using words like sir and ma'am? If you look at our allyship guide overall, it's trying to support our associates and going forward and trying to be inclusive for everybody with all different beliefs. And when you look at our associate resource group, our associate resource groups were created several years ago for people with different types of interests. And we think it's incredibly important to be an inclusive opening culture uh, to welcome all associates. If employees in your stores in rural Arkansas refer to other employees or customers or sir or ma'am, do they face disciplinary action? Uh, I, not that I'm aware of, sir. I would have to ask. Are, um, are, are you still requiring employees to wear the apron with the rainbow heart symbol on it? Yeah, if you, the, um, if you look at this, uh, we, we put in place an apron several years ago because our associates wanted to have a common dress code. Uh, the heart is the symbol of our, the Kroger's fundamental purpose is to feed the human spirit. And uh, part of feeding the human spirit is the heart. And that and heart is too. our fundamental strategy to support our purpose. Uh, the colors were not tied to uh, any specific thing. Well, I'm not sure I believe that because it was introduced during Pride Month as a supposed sign of inclusivity, and a federal judge didn't agree with it either. That's why he rejected your company's motion for summary judgment, and you just paid $180,000 to two employees that you wrongly terminated. By the way, would you like to offer an apology here to Brenda Lawson and Trudy Rickard for the ordeal they went through? I would need to understand more of the details, Senator. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six D A turnkey dot pro text line. Now I don't have any problems with Kroger buying Albertsons. Uh, I'm pretty narrow in my support for antitrust laws. Okay, um, but um, I'm now just Kroger if food is costs are going to go up because oh, Kroger oh. is Mariano's, you know, fries, Ralph's, and Albertsons is Jewels. Yeah, they, so. Yeah. It's all so going to be one happy family. Consolidation in an industry. It happens in every sector. It doesn't mean it's an antitrust violation. It doesn't mean there's not room for competition. Um, and so, um, but the reason they're, you have Rodney McMullen on the Hill is because they're seeking support from Republicans who are inclined to be more sympathetic to free market business dealings, right? Right. But now you know if you didn't already, about Kroger's corporate culture. Feed the human spirit. That's why Kroger's in business. No, you're in business to make money, okay? Um, That's and, a bunch of godly gook. Yeah, I love it. of course. I mean, well, what do, you expect from a, uh, uh, what do you expect from a company that has an allyship guide for their employees? And also, so now you have Rodney McMullen, first of all, to not know about an EEOC complaint, uh, uh, religious discrimination, uh, when, even if you didn't know about it when it occurred, when you're going on the Hill to testify— and you know there are senators like Tom Cotton that are going to be looking for encroachments on religious liberty, given what's happening in corporate America today. Okay, that's, uh, you know, I'm a little uh, skeptical about that, number one. Or well, it's, also it happened it, or it's in incompetence. October. I'm sorry, but it happened in October 2022. It's not like it was months or years ago. 
Well, and then the second thing, yeah, that it, I mean, it just the happened. Heart, the heart with the rainbow coloring, you know, had nothing to do with a, any particular group affiliation. It was just meant it's so our way. We came up with it as our way of uh, conveying inclusivity. Right. <laughs> Not exactly. It was rolled out during Pride Week. The federal judge disagreed. And so it is. OK, so just spare me the sophistry, Mr. McMullen. So what should what should Republicans do? How should they respond in this moment to Kroger's appeal to Republicans on their big deal with Albertsons? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. Well, here's what Tom Cotton had to say on that. Here's his answer. This situation reminds me a little bit of the situation big tech companies have found themselves in in recent years. They've come to Washington because they fear regulation from our Democratic friends or action by the Biden administration, and they expect Republicans who are traditionally more supportive of free enterprise to come to their defense. And I've cautioned them for years that if they silence uh, conservatives and center-right voters across the country, if they discriminate against them in their company, they probably shouldn't come and ask Republican senators to carry the water for them whenever our Democratic friends want to regulate them or block their mergers. So I, I've heard a lot, a lot of questioning about that today, and I've read a lot about it in the news. Um, and I'll say this. I'm sorry that's happening to you. Best of luck. 312-642-5600, turnkey dot pro answer line. Jim in Crown Point, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. You know, the every, all these big corporations in the effort to get a bigger market share, they're going to trample on the rights of their existing customers. Uh, everybody has personal preferences. I'm 5'7". When I dated, I dated women that told me to my face, I like you, but you're not tall enough, okay? That's her personal preference. Should I sue her because she said that to me? No, uh, I don't like overweight women. That's my preference. Everybody has preference in here. Uh, the website, uh, people that are going uh, are at court now because they refuse to uh, do gay, uh, gay sites for uh, gay people. Uh, they're trying to dictate everything, uh, personal pronouns. I, I talk the way I talk. I'm almost 70. I talk the way I talk. I was raised this way. This is my preference. I don't want to con- uh, con- con- uh, you know, conform. This, the, the country is way out, and uh, kudos to Cotton. I love his last line. It was beautiful. Yeah, thanks for the call, Jim. Did he yeah. drop the mic, too, and then walk away? It, it, it would have been. Like it yeah. would have been appropriate, right. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that's happening to you. Oh, so Best sad. of luck. Yeah. Best of luck. And I think that is the attitude when you're, you're, you're participating with uh, – Despicable rent-seeking behavior, despicable infringements on people's rights, demonizing people. You throw in with the statists. You throw in with these new Marxists. And then you come crying to us when the new Marxists turn on you. I'm sorry that's happening to you. Best of luck. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day. 
then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Project Veritas has done it again. James O'Keefe and his uh, undercover reporters want you to meet Joseph Bruno. Joseph Bruno is the dean of students at Francis Parker High School in Lincoln Park. Which is about $40,000 a year, regardless if you're in kindergarten or in 11th or 12th grade. Um. And uh, Francis Parker's produced uh, oh, yeah. some very famous graduates, like Amy. Who uh, do you think is the most famous graduate of Francis uh, Parker? The new congresswoman, uh, the Spice Girl. Francis Parker Francis Spice, Parker's Ianna Spice. Presley, that's one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who, wait, 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 oh, this is good trivia. Francis Parker. I'll give you a hint. I know a lot who graduated from Latin. She was in Splash. Oh, Dan, uh, Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah is a Francis Parker grad. Um, and um, the most famous, may, he may not be the most famous, but he should be. He's the, um, he's the greatest American living, uh, living American playwright. Um, David Mamet. David Mamet, who went on to Iowa, too. Well, I don't think you'll think that Francis Parker is on pace to produce another David Mamet anytime soon given the culture in that school, as evinced by Joseph Bruno, the Dean of Students. Let's meet him, shall we? So I've been the Dean for four years. During Pride, we do a Pride Week every year, and I had, um, I had like our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Who is this? This is uh, an LGBTQ plus health center came in to talk to my high school students. Nice. They're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're looking at them. In the school? In, in a classroom. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting there. And we had a drag queen come in, um, pass out cookies and brownies and do photos. It's so amazing. And everybody's cool with that, like the plugs and the dildos. No big complaints. No. I mean, if the parents found out, would they? No. It's queer sex. This is the drag queen that came in. What's her name? Uh, Alexis Bevels. Alexis Bevels. And just hung out in my classroom. And was there? Hung out in my office. You have so much freedom. So much. 
wiggle room. So much freedom, so much money. I mean, to do stuff. Trustees are okay with that too? Oh, yeah. They don't know. They would. It's like we. I wouldn't even like run it by them. Like, why would I run it by them? They would be like, "Oh my god, that's wonderful." Like yeah. The kids that with the classroom, fourteen, eighteen. They're like, "How do you? How does this book work? How do we do? Like, how does this work?" Right. Um, so yeah, that's a really like cool part of my job is I don't have to worry about stuff like that. Three one two six four two. 5600 turnkey.pro answer line 64636DA turnkey.pro text line. How's it going at uh, your kid's school? Are they learning about butt plugs and dildos as freshmen? This is so vile and so disgusting that it would, it's hard to process. And for, first of all, Mr. the Dean of Student looks like a character, if you haven't seen the video, from the village people. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's accurate. No, it's, isn't it? That's yeah, what, it is so, And some people online couldn't even be like, no, that's not true. This is fake news. No, it is not fake news. And I wish to get, like, Jennifer Pritzker graduated from there, so I wish Governor Pritzker was having a press conference today where I could ask him, is that appropriate to be taught in school? At your mm. trustees? Don't know. No. Because, you know, there's a lot of money. There's there's more here. Just hung out in my classroom. It was there. Or hung out in my office. You have so much freedom. So much wiggle room. So much freedom. So much money. I mean, to do stuff. Trustees are okay with that, too? Oh, yeah. They don't know. They would. It's like we. I wouldn't even like run it by them. Like, why would I run it by them? They'd be like, "Oh my god, that's wonderful." Right. Um, of course. Of course. Why would he run it by the trustees or any other uh, authority higher than him as the dean of students? Because we're all on the same page. Jay Pritzker graduated from there. Billy. The interesting. Zane, Brad thing. Thor graduated from there. Interesting thing about this um, is, you know, I had this occasion. I've told the story before, but since Francis Parker's in the news, I'll tell it again. Had the occasion to uh, participate in a school assembly there many years ago. This was an advance. I, I think it was an advance of the 2012 election. And I was invited actually by Bridget Gaynor, the Cook County Commissioner, because they wanted to do sort of a point counterpoint on a number of issues related to the presidential election between Obama and Romney. So she essentially, you know, articulated the case for Obamacare, and I articulated the case for repealing Obamacare and on tax policy and so forth. Student assembly, so it was in the gym, you know, uh, for the high school students. And, um, I mean, I remember distinctly, so this is now a decade ago, I remember distinctly at the end of the session, before we... They were dismissed. Everybody was dismissed, and we left. Announcements. And uh, one of the girls got up, students, and said, don't forget to you know, sign up for the dance on Friday night, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The deadline is whatever it was. Uh, remember, all the proceeds are going to Planned Parenthood. So uh, that tells you a little bit about what Francis Parker has really always been and now, given what's happening culturally, and not to mention what has become of Chicago, it's hardly a surprise, I, I would think, that you hear something like this from the dean of students. You shouldn't be surprised. And if we you're would surprised, then you're not paying attention. And we would never have known about this had Twitter not reinstated Project Veritas recently. I mean, not never have known about it, but it's easier for people to follow and, and see what's going on. I, I mean, do you think he's going to keep his job? 
What What do you mean? Do you, did you listen to him? Yeah, I listened to him, but parents are actually... You think parents are going to pull their kids out of Francis Parker? No, I don't. Why do you? Because he seems very perverse, sexually perverse. He seems to enjoy the dildo, the butt plug, you know, and I show him how to use it. That was in another part of this. Uh, I mean, you, yeah, you want kid, your they, kid next to a, a, yeah. a sexual deviant pervert? In what my are you mind? talking about? 14, 15, 16-year-old kids are learning about dildos and butt plugs and spit versus lube and all the things you want them to learn about in high school. I mean, that's why you're paying forty grand to send them to one of the great high schools in Chicago. Uh, maybe in the maybe in the entire country, huh? I mean, you, what, oh, you don't think that's happening at your kid's school? Oh, maybe I asked as, my son maybe if it's not, maybe it, it is. He's like, absolutely not. Maybe it's not as pronounced, but I mean, it's on. You know, it's all on a continuum. People, are you surprised to hear this from the dean of students at Francis Parker? Really? You think that there's going to be some response from the administration or the parents, maybe a parent or two that's out of the loop and will be surprised, you know, people that weren't paying attention. But number one, you send your kid to Francis Parker for the status. You send your kid to Francis Parker because you're thinking if you haven't been paying attention, you're thinking that Francis Parker is the school that produced David Mamet, and it's not that school anymore. How many conversations about this do we have to have where the school that you went to that you think is a great school or the school that you know about because of its perceived excellence? In many cases, it's not that school anymore. Bennett is not the school that I went to high school. It's not the same school as it was when I went to high school there. Neither are most of the Catholic schools. And I don't say that in a complimentary fashion, clearly. Same thing goes, I mean, how many conversations we have? This is about universities. So, uh, I mean, I know this is making the rounds and the, the oh my gosh, and the, the reaction. Why? What is surprising about that? Matt in Mount Greenwood, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, thanks for taking my call. It wouldn't be too long ago this would have been sexual abuse, children. And it, as much as it sickens probably every one of your listeners, um, this is commonplace. And the parents know what's happening at that school, and they promote it. Otherwise, they, those kids wouldn't be there. I mean, if you're talking about Planned Parenthood 10 years ago, right. I don't think that those children aren't going home to their parents and, hey, Mom, we're, we're supporting Planned Parenthood. What's this all about? It's disgusting. These schools are indoctrinating our children. I had a conversation with my 12-year-old daughter last night. We're doing her homework. And uh, she had to write an essay about, uh, she was uh, regarding uh, utilizing animals for medical testing. And she goes, well, my thoughts were that it's better that than human beings. I said, Claire, you're right on top of it. I said, now look at this. I go, this is also the side that's pushing live birth abortions in some states to murder children. And her face has turned white. You know, I hate to have to talk to my seventh grader about this type of stuff, but the reality is if I don't, my wife doesn't, the school will in an opposite direction. It's disgusting. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Thanks for the call, Matt. Yeah. I mean, there's also a video, too, circulating from this new thing, uh, Don't Drag Our Kids to Drag, about Uprising Bakery and Lake in the Hills, where it seems appears to be a wardrobe malfunction, Dan, 
where the drag queen's junk popped out of the leotard and was snuggled up against the nylons he was wearing. And he's doing this in front of kids that are one a one-year-old to 13 years old. Right. That's at a private business. That was back in October. Yeah. Um, so approved. if, if kids fine. are – well, Pritzker, if, if parents are taking their kids there, you think – Parents are aghast, uh, you know, sort of the similarly situated parents ideologically are aghast at what's going on at Francis Parker. But it's such grooming and like the drag queen bringing cookies. How innocent is that? So uh huh. Back to schools. A self-described bisexual River Forest trustee commending teachers at an elementary school in the village for starting a club to instructs 7- to 10-year-old students on varieties of homosexuality. 7- to 10-year-olds. Yeah. That's at the Willard School in River Forest. Tony River Forest. Tony Francis Parker in Lincoln Park. Uh, this woman, Erica Backner, told members of River Forest School District 90 she was proud of Willard School starting the R- Rainbow Club. She wished they had, do- <coughs> she wished they had done so sooner. By the way, she's bisexual, she says. She's also married to a man. Wow. Um, How does that work and, out? And she says she has a gay child who attended Willard and didn't get the benefit of a rainbow club either. Yeah. But so, I'm sorry. So, oh, so, so are, are you also talking about um, non-monogamous relationships too, even when you're married? Is that part of the... Curriculum, I wonder. If she's bisexual, she's married to a man. What? So what's going on there? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, since she's leading with her private life, it uh, seems fair that you'll ask a question. But, hey, the you know, important point here is Willard School, 7- to 10-year-olds, gay club. Text uh-huh. message, uh, Amy, get over it. Bruno will be getting a raise so he doesn't get hired away by an Ivy League school. <laughs> yeah, right. And another text message, Jennifer Beals, hello, she graduated. Oh, yeah, yeah Jennifer Beals, Jennifer that's Beals. also, yes. Mm-hmm. But Brad yeah. Thor, we've had him on the show several times. I wonder what all, you know, these famous alumni think of this. The, the other point, too, to emphasize, this school will not be producing artists like it once did. Yeah. Because that's not the point of the school anymore. Even with the progressive patina. Uh, Wheaton Middle School. Gay Pride Christmas Tree. What? That's a thing? Yeah. Wheaton Middle School. Edison Middle School. About a mile and a half from where I grew up. Uh, gay Pride Rainbow Color Christmas Tree on display at Edison Middle School. Adorned with pink ornaments and anti-heterosexual uh, slogans. Be gay, be slay is one of the sayings and one of the hearts on this rainbow Christmas tree. Uh, another says gay panic, which is a reference to defense offered by those who rebuff physical advances by a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Edison Middle School, 6th, 7th, 8th graders. Oh, by the way, in Wheaton, going back to the academic piece of it, Wheaton now. of Edison students failed the English portion of the Illinois Assessment of Readiness test. 63% failed the math. (laughs) Good schools. You know, I'm moving to Wheaton for the schools. Are you? You shouldn't. 
I'm a, I'm gonna send my kid to Francis Parker for the education. Are you? You you shouldn't. So in addition to, and and connected to the ideological point of the schools is the decline in academic achievement. They're connected. Kathy and Joliet, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Dan. Hi, Amy. Uh, in the 80s, I worked in dentistry, and uh, my boss asked me to go over to uh, Francis Parker to teach um, hygiene, oral hygiene, flossing, brushing, etc. during Children's Dental Health Week in February. And I found him to be the most bratty, disrespectful group of kids. You know, of course, I'm an outsider coming in. So, you know, what's the, what's the penalty there? Nothing. But um, the teachers were like, well, we, you know, promote them to be themselves and this and that. And so the prevailing attitude hasn't changed from the 80s with this freedom of what they think is freedom. You know, basically, um, I don't know, just the whole libertarian or Democrat thing that everybody goes through now, you know, with with what they're talking about now. So uh, that was the early 80s. So yeah. Thanks for the call, Joliet, uh, Kathy and Joliet. Appreciate it. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, the Covidians in the West continue to punish the kids. Alex Berenson uh, over at his Substack brings us the story of 14-year-old Yulia Hicks. Brought from Ukraine to the United States in December of 2018, she was given up by her first two adoptive families before Chrissy and Lee Hicks adopted her last year. That's nice. She suffers from a genetic condition that's destroying her kidneys and eyes and will soon force her to have a kidney transplant. But doctors at Duke University, where Yulia has been awaiting a kidney transplant, have told her parents they will not give her a new kidney unless she is vaccinated against COVID, Ah. even though Yulia has already had and recovered from COVID. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 
I'm sorry. Why do we keep doing this to each other? Where's the humanity? Where's the compassion? Where's helping your fellow American or your fellow human being? Uh, the pediatric infectious disease specialist yes. is a political hack. His name is Dr. Dan Chang. And by the way, this is we're going to broaden this out to a larger con- conversation about the pediatrics profession. Because you better get a second opinion or a third opinion or a fourth opinion if uh, when it comes to your kid's pediatrician these days. Dr. Dan Chang said um, the COVID jab prevents severe disease and death. Well, there's a lot of vaccinated people that are dying from COVID. In fact, in Australia, more than 90% of COVID deaths have occurred in vaccinated people. Oh, I'm sure. And we know now that the pandemic of the unvaccinated, the data doesn't support that meme anymore, does it? The left is all about their memes and their sloganeering. Dr. Chang also said, Dan Chang, told Yulia's parents, the natural immunity is not as good as if you had natural immunity plus vaccination. That is also... How does he know that? It is also unknown definitively, and some of the studies that have been done suggest that uh, hybrid immunity isn't a thing. There was um, a New England Journal of Medicine study in July of this year that examined COVID infections from more than 2 million people in Qatar and found that the effectiveness of previous infection and two doses is similar to the effectiveness of previous infection alone. Uh Uh-huh. But nonetheless, uh, Dr. Chang and uh, Dr. Eileen Chambers, a pediatric kidney specialist, acknowledged their hospital had seen no deaths or severe illness in unvaccinated patients following kidney transplants, but they say they, they heard of deaths at other transplant centers. Oh, you've heard of things. Hmm. Yeah. Dr. Chang also pointed to hospitalization costs if Yulia developed a COVID-related fever after receiving a transplant as a reason to require oh. vaccinations. Just keep running down the list. <laughs> so, okay. I'm sure that was a randomized study, not. I mean, what? He's not forcing her, though, to get the COVID shot. He's only recommending it. Although, if you don't get it, you're not going to get the transplant. So that's not much of a recommendation. Can they go to another hospital? Can they sue the hospital? Uh, I mean, there's how do you fight back against stupidity? They are seeking a, a transplant center that will not require Yulia to receive the COVID shot. She, you know, they live in North Carolina. That's why they're at Duke. But, you know, they obviously believe that or, or the Great reputation hospital. is that yeah. they do, uh, you know, that they, they're a quality medical facility that uh, can perform these kind of surgeries. But now they're trying to raise $25,000 to um, help pay for the additional expenses of traveling for a transplant. Um, Now, the parents say this is not having an impact on her. She's the happiest child I've ever met, said her mom, which is great. But it's not it's about what the adults are doing. It's about not about not about uh, uh, 14-year-old Yulia, other than what people are doing 
in the interests of COVIDian politics and to the detriment of this 14-year-old girl. One, one, once again, though, I just want to squeeze this in here. Ron DeSantis, he's displaying true leadership. You're very lucky, Dan. He wants to hold mRNA manufacturers accountable. You know, we are going to work uh, to hold uh, these uh, manufacturers accountable for this mRNA because they said there was no side effects. And we know that there have been a lot. And so we did a study in Florida and you saw an 86% increase in cardiac related activity uh, from people 18 to 39 from mRNA shots. And so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's the only one. He's the only one that's actually leading, who's just not going along to get along, like every other governor in this godforsaken place we live. The um, American Academy of Pediatrics. So this is why what I want to get to as well, and we'll take some of your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswer line. Yeah, they have a huge place in Itasca right across the street from the West End. It's a beautiful uh, facility. They're, and they're completely the association and much of the profession, which is dominated by Democrats. More than two, two and a half to one, the pediatrician surveyed identify as Democrat versus Republican. In uh, the June of 2020, they took a strong stance, the American Academy of Pediatrics, against school shutdowns. The importance of in-person learning is well documented. There's already evidence of the negative impacts on children because of school closures in the spring of 2020. The group, uh, this is the statement they issued. Um, in, they included a litany of issues, learning loss, food insecurity, isolation, depression, physical and sexual abuse, substance use and abuse, suicidal ideation. All policy considerations for the coming school year should start with a goal of having students physically present in school. June of 2020. Yeah, I remember that. Right. I was like, oh, somebody's on our side. Somebody's got our back. And, and then, two, boom. two weeks later, after Trump and Betsy DeVos and Pence were saying schools need to open in the fall, Trump tweeted it July 6th. July 10th, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, same association, a month later said, Oh, there's going to be need to be substantial new investments in the schools for right. from the federal government. Uh, otherwise, in-person learning will be impossible this fall. So they were doing the bidding of the teachers union. Meanwhile, right. kids in Europe were returning to the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, Nobody was teaching from the grave from Europe. When schools began to reopen, the group advised every child, including toddlers, should remain masked for the duration of the day, even as most other Western countries mm-hmm. opted against masking kids. They pushed politicians to require them. Yep. In an August 21, 2021 email that was obtained by the Washington Free Beacon, the Colorado chapter of the American Association of Pediatrics urged members to contact the governor there, Polis, to express support for a mask mandate in Colorado public schools. Iowa chapter did the same, challenging a state law that prohibited school mask mandates. They tweeted in August of this year, there's no evidence masks can harm childhood language development. But prior to the pandemic, the same association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, had argued that seeing faces is critical for early childhood development, according to a book published by them in 2018. 
visually impaired children are slower to acquire adjectives and verbs than their sighted peers at younger ages and less likely to smile because smiling is learned by seeing others smile. Mm -hmm. Visually impaired children develop speech and language at the same rate as their peers. They asserted in August of 2022 because now they've got to cover their change in politics with a change in conclusion based on nothing that contradicts the uh, study that uh, this book, I should say, that they published in 2018. So they just do complete reversals based on what science and data? No, no, based on what the unions want, because the same people were in charge at the American Academy of Pediatrics that were in charge months later. Politics, politics, politics. And the CDC found that 45%, Dan, almost half of high school students were so persistently sad or hopeless in 2021 that they're unable to engage in regular activities and one in five seriously considered suicide. And and I told Governor Pritzker that time after time after he laughed at me, belittled me, and I think that he should apologize to all the parents because we were right once again. Politics, but now crossing over and being the driver for decisions about your kids' health, in addition to their education, which also, of course, implicates their health. But literally being driven by these associations like the American Academy of Pediatrics, that gives the credibility of medicine, of science to the COVIDians. Scott and Aurora, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, my issue with this doctor is is uh, this girl clearly has underlying health issues already. I mean, that's what she's there for. And she's already had COVID. Um, I'm assuming she got through it just fine. And uh, he's still trying to push this on him. Uh, you know, other than virtue signaling, I mean, at this point, what's he trying to accomplish? Uh, you got to hold the line. Thanks for the call, Scott. I mean, we talked about this during, at the height of the pandemic, there were, uh, you will not get this medical treatment, you will not get this transplant. There are other stories like Yulia's of kids and, and adults that were denied transplants if they wouldn't get the vaccine once it became available. So this has been happening for a while, and it continues, and it will continue, because you have to hold the line. You have to continue to justify the decisions that you made, the positions that you took. That's what you're seeing doctors do like you're seeing politicians do. That's the scary thing. Doctors behaving like politicians. Clay and Wheeling. Corn Dan and Amy. Yeah, newsflash. Anybody in modern day politics doesn't care about you at all. They only care about your vote and how much money they can secure along with it. Uh, that being said, uh, I don't know if you guys follow Flecka's talks, but he does a great little segment called uh, Weekly Updates on what they're blaming uh, this new sudden death on this week. I think last week it was a random uh, 03 uh, element that they discovered in the air. It's just getting ridiculous. It, it's, it's this vaccine. The American people in this whole world have been duped. You've been lied to. Thanks for the well, call. I mean, like yeah, yesterday. Dr. Fauci being a star. Yesterday, Karine Jean-Pierre asked about uh, the uh, what the president is going to do about the uh, 
the triple demic, the flu, RSV, and COVID? No. Uh, what he's going what he's going to do about the defense authorization, the defense Pentagon funding bill, uh, with Republicans stripping out the vax mandate for military. And here's what she said. On the National Defense Authorization Act, it doesn't include a military COVID vaccine mandate. Is the president's objection to removing that mandate so strong that he's willing to veto the NDAA? What we think happened here is uh, Republicans in Congress have decided that they'd rather, uh, f- rather fight against the health and well-being of our troops than protecting them. And we believe that it is a mistake. What we saw, uh, what we saw happen on the NDAA as it relates to the vaccine mandate. It's not going to stop. No. David Wakanda. Yeah, good morning, guys. So this girl, this little girl needs life-threatening surgery, but she has to have a vaccine. If she needed, if she decided she wanted to change her gender, how many doctors do you think would jump all over it with no vaccine? Well, thanks for the call. Candace, Mom Pleasant. Hello? Hey, Candace. Oh, hi. Good morning, guys. Okay, so I think the most, the scariest thing to me these days are doctors and hospitals. And, I mean, I just see no, it seems like they know something that we don't know because there's just building of them everywhere around here. So they're making hand over fist. If I had a child, my imaginary child, Dan, would never go to the doctor, almost never, because I've read all of Sheldon Mendelssohn's books, who is the top doctor, and he said that if if 98% of the people out there never went to the doctor anymore, if all these hospitals closed, people would be way better off. He said it's a, he said that he said his own industry was the biggest sham. The most of the testing is false. Um and I think a lot of these kids are being, you know, the parents are groomed to think that, you know, they need this kidney or they need this or they need that. And and I bet if you find if she just alters her diet a little bit, she probably doesn't need the kidney thing. Well, and uh, I would definitely, okay, before Dr. I Candace. went to American, okay, oh, wait Dr. a minute, before, before I go to American doctor and hospital, I would take her somewhere else out of, it, out of the country for treatment. Well, uh, okay. Thanks for the call. Cause I mean, I, you know, she, she has a genetic condition that's destroying her kidney. That's what we're Jeez. to understand. So, yeah. So, so I, you know, I'm not necessarily, it doesn't seem like there's much uh, question about the diagnosis but there's a lot of question about the treatment and the predicates for the treatment. Um, so, you know, getting into homeopathic versus modern medicine is a separate discussion that we're not going to have today. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Part of uh, Senator Raphael Warnock's victory speech on Tuesday night was interesting, given uh, the run-up to this cycle, the midterm election was in part about uh, Republicans allegedly working to suppress the vote at the state level in states like Georgia, right? Uh, Big boycotts uh, when Georgia moved some minor election reforms, again, the state of Georgia, because it's a state and local issue, the administration of elections. 
particularly a state issue. And it was going to be Jim Crow 2.0. That's what it was, right? That's what the president said. That's what Stacey Abrams said. That's what Raphael Warnock said. Jim Crow 2.0, suppressing the black vote in particular, but suppressing voters. That's what the Republicans were in business to do. That was going to be the result of the law that was the reforms that were passed in Georgia. So much so that, you know, the Major League Baseball had to move the All-Star game. Oh, that's right. And what happened instead? They had large voter turnout and early but, voting. And, and despite Warnock's victory, don't think for a second that it's still not Jim Crow 2.0. There are those who would look at the outcome of this race and say that there's no voter suppression in Georgia. Let me be clear. Just because people endured long lines that wrapped around buildings some blocks long, just because they endured the rain and the cold and all kinds of tricks in order to vote, doesn't mean that voter suppression does not exist. It simply means that you, the people, have decided that your voices will not be silenced. And so expect that to continue right through 2024 and until and unless um, these demagogues like Warnock are defeated. There is an important case before the Supreme Court, oral arguments uh, were uh, offered the other day, uh, religious liberty case that we talked about out of Colorado, 303 Creative, and we're actually going to have the graphic artist on oh, yeah. in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, another important case before the court involves a redistricting plan in North Carolina. The case is Moore v. Harper, and the Supreme Court is taking up what the Constitution's election clause means against the backdrop of a Democrat party that wants to federalize elections, the administration of elections writ large. For more on that case and its implications, pleased to be joined by Professor William Jacobson. He is a clinical professor of law and director of the Securities Law Clinic at Cornell Law School. He's also the founder of LegalInsurrection.com and president of the Legal Insurrection Foundation. <laughs> Professor Jacobson, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me back. So um, is uh, this uh, case, uh, the Moore case before the Supreme Court, um, is this a complicated case in terms of uh, explicitly articulating what is already explicitly articulated in the Elections Clause of the Constitution? Well, at its core, it's not complicated. I mean, the uh, Elections Clause says that the time manner uh, of elections for House of Representatives and Senate shall be determined by the legislatures of each state. So that's about as clear as you get. I think the issue becomes at what point, and the issue in the case is at what point can state courts essentially intervene in that whole process. And in North Carolina, they intervene, the Supreme Court, on a very um, vague and amorphous standard essentially, you know, a fairness standard, that they that they didn't feel that the redistricting was fair, and therefore they uh, overturned it. So that's, that's the issue. The question presented to the court for this case um, was not whether the elections clause exists, of course it, it does, but whether they can 
overturned, quote, based on vague state constitutional provisions regarding ensuring a fair or free election. So that's that's the issue and that uh, it's I'm not 100 percent clear how it's going to come out. But uh, it's very important because you recall in 2020, state courts, particularly in Pennsylvania, that was the most prominent, simply uh, tossed aside what the legislature had planned for the election. So it's, it's very political as to whether Democrat controlled state Supreme Courts or Republican, but it's usually done by Democrat controlled state courts can override the legislature. So the, the plaintiffs uh, uh, in the case, the more plaintiffs, they argue the election clause legislation is subject to state court review because Congress is subject to federal judicial review when it acts under the election clause to make or alter congressional election laws. Is that is that wrong? Is that right? Well, I, I think that's what listening to the oral arguments, it's, it's not clear where the court's going to come out. There seem to be a lot of confusion all around as to what sort of judicial review would be permitted. And that's one of the arguments that, well, Congress is subject to judicial review. Why shouldn't the state legislature passing these laws regarding the election be subject? And I don't know how it's going to come out, but that's really the the, uh, crux of the the issue the court's grappling with is that, you know, uh, courts, uh, not because it's in the Constitution, but it's really a matter of practice. Uh, since the early days of the Republic, is subject to judicial review. So I I think that what's probably going to happen and what a lot of people are predicting is that it's going to recognize the supremacy of the state legislature, but not uh, without limit. And it's going to toss out vague standards for review, but it might allow some sort of other standard for review if it's in the state constitution, if there's a, a more clear standard that doesn't give unbridled discretion to the, the court system. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, because, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm why I, in part why I'm not persuaded by the uh, argument being made by the plaintiffs, um, in addition to just the faulty legal reasoning. I mean, you have a you have a supremacy clause that addresses this review question, it seems to me. But in addition to that, they also say that a plain text reading of the elections clause of the Constitution would be, quote, damaging for American democracy. We're getting like a political everything that I disagree with is a threat to our democracy type of argument that has become standard fare for the Democrats. Well, that's right. The, the standard of uh, justice is does it help my political party when it comes right. to a lot of these Democratic arguments? Uh, and the, the definition of democracy is, do I win and do I prevail? If, if I do, then I'm, then it's democratic. If it's not, then it's not. So, yeah, I mean, I think there was an unusual amount of hysteria surrounding this case. Uh, I know, you know, the go-to argument from Democrats is end of democracy. But it really was hyperventilated here. And I'm not really sure what they're afraid of, because this could work either way politically. You know, if you have a Democrat-controlled legislature, they could pass various rules and methods of voting, et cetera, uh, that are not favorable to Republicans. So this is not a one-way street, but the Democrats uniquely seem to be concerned about it. And I think it's because if you look at least at the last few years, it really seems to be, you know, the Democrat-controlled uh, state courts that have intervened, not the other way around. Uh, but it is curious that the Democrats are in a frenzy about this and the Republicans aren't. 
Now, you mm-hmm. wrote an article about the Twitter files and them being about family, Biden family corruption and media cover-up. But can you expand on the fact that you said Musk made a mistake by portraying this as a First Amendment issue? Right. Well, well, the, de- the Democrats' favorite argument whenever something bad happens is to, ar- like Bill Clinton, argue of what the meaning of is is. So get into these endless loops of arguments about definitions of things. We see that in the critical race theory thing. You could have this horrendous racialization of uh, kindergarten education and uh, based on critical race principles, they say, well, that's not really critical race theory. And so they divert the whole argument into an argument over the definition of something. And that's essentially what's going on with the Twitter files. I mean, what the Twitter files show is what we probably already knew, which is that left-leaning or far-left People who run big tech and social media platforms, um, you know, put their thumb on the scale in favor of people from the left. And uh, that was true with Twitter with terms of banning people. And so now, uh, because Elon Musk referred to it as a free speech First Amendment issue, they're now arguing, well, this is a private company. There's no proof the government ordered them to do anything. And so we're getting into this whole argument about is it First Amendment, is it government, is it not? And to me, that's a side issue. The the issue is that they actually were um, banning people. They actually were letting their political opinions influence the single most important platform for political argument when it comes to, uh, you know, this country at least. And so that's really the issue. And what they did is they suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story, which really is the Biden family corruption story. That's what the story is about. It just so happens the laptop provided inside evidence. And so that, to me, was a mistake because the First Amendment only applies if there's government action involved. And that's not necessary to the main point here, which is that Twitter was manipulating the inec- uh, the insiders at Twitter were manipulating the election. Uh, what uh, the, the main story behind a new New York state law uh, that governs blogs like yours, if you were in New York, uh, is the story, uh, is a First Amendment issue. I should say. That is the main story here. And I wanted to get your reaction to uh, this op-ed uh, from earlier in the week in the journal by Eugene Volokh, who's a law professor at UCLA and, and runs a, a blog as well, the Volokh Conspiracy. Um, and uh, he uh, writes in the journal, um, the New York state law would mandate I post publicly my policy for, for responding to comments that, quote, vilify, humiliate or incite violence against a group based on race, color, religion, ethnicity, national origin, disability, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or gender expression. It also requires I give readers a way to complain about my blog's content and it obligates me to respond directly. And he says, I don't want to moderate such content and I don't endorse the state's definition of hate speech. I do sometimes delete comments, but I do it based on my own editorial judgment, not state command. And now I'm being conscripted by obligating me to do the state's bidding with regard to viewpoints that the New York state of New York condemns. The law violates the First Amendment. Is Professor Volokh right about that? Well, he, he is. He absolutely is. It's a horrible law. I mean, it's a, a law, you know, that essentially uh, would shut down the comment sections in virtually every website that's subject to its jurisdiction. Uh, I've seen that law and it refers to, you know, for-profit websites. So it wouldn't necessarily apply to all websites and who do business in New York. Who knows what that means? Because do you have readers in New York? Is that doing business in New York? But if it applies to you, 
you now become the cops. You now become the equivalent of your campus, you know, speech code people. And uh, the problem is you're subject to fines and you're subject to potential criminal liability if you don't do it. And so I think what you would see is uh, websites would simply do what many have already done because moderating comments sections is so difficult. They'll just turn them off. So they will deprive people of the platform out of fear of being liable. Um, and, and so it's it's vague. What is hate speech? What is, you know, uh, things that are offensive? Uh, how is this going to be enforced? And it's particularly troubling given the nature of the New York state government, which is you have an attorney general who would have the enforcement authority for this, who is a rabid partisan um, who ran for office with the pledge. This was her central campaign theme with the pledge that she would get Trump and, and his family members. Right. So uh, that's the person we're going to have enforcing whether something is hate speech or not. That's the person who's going to be enforcing this law. Uh, so it, it's bad at, at, at every single level. This law is bad. Uh, and I, I'd be shocked if a court doesn't throw it out. He is Professor William Jacobson, the clinical professor of law and director of the Securities Law Clinic at Cornell Law School, also the founder of LegalInsurrection.com, which is a must-read blog, and president of the Legal Insurrection Foundation. Professor Jacobson, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, what does it mean for America when a Chinese communist despot, you know, uh, lords over the most populous country on the planet, meets with an uh, Islamic theocrat and strengthens the ties that bind the two? That's what's happening today in Saudi Arabia uh, per the arrival of Chinese Communist leader Xi to meet with Saudi Arabian Prince MBS, and uh, they're expected to sign some 20 agreements worth more than 21, more than worth more than 29 billion dollars uh, in business between the two countries. We don't really know the topics or the what those agreements entail. Is it in the telecom space? Is it weapons deals? Uh, there's Wall Street Journal reported there's some there were had been some progress uh, in talks about pricing some Saudi oil sales in yuan Chinese currency, which, you know, is all part of Xi's plan to dominate the world and restore uh, China to the global hegemon he desires it to be. Well, let's get some perspective on this meet. We'll get that from Benedict Rogers, who's the co-founder and chief executive of Hong Kong Watch, and he's the author of The China Nexus. Benedict Rogers, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Good, good to be with you. And so uh, what about uh, MBS and Xi doing deals and getting uh, closer? Well, I think it's uh, obviously alarming uh, uh, at any time when, when two major uh, dictators and authoritarian regimes come together, um, but it's particularly um, 
hypocritical, really, of, of Saudi Arabia because uh, Xi Jinping is presiding over what is increasingly recognized, recognized by both the previous U.S. administration, the current administration, uh, several other parliaments of different countries, um, as a genocide uh, of the predominantly Muslim Uyghur people. Right. And yet Saudi Arabia is, um, is turning a blind eye to that and, and doing deals with the perpetrators of, of that genocide. Well, right. Although, you know, uh, it's not like MBS has and the Saudis have a particularly great human rights record. So, you know, there's uh, this is these are people who believe that other people are just sometimes eggs. You got to break. Yes, that, that, that's correct. And uh, uh, but 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 there is there is a double standard because um, not only for Saudi Arabia, but for, for many of the uh, uh, members of the Organization of Islamic State, the OIC countries, uh, they have spoken out quite rightly on the genocide of the Rohingya people in uh, Burma or Myanmar. Um, they're very quick to speak out on any incident of either perceived or real uh, Islamophobia in the Western world. Um, but when it comes to, to China, because they're doing business deals, they'll, um, they'll ignore uh, and, and even deny um, the genocide of the Uyghurs. So, uh, yeah, but, but you're correct. Uh, he, he's not exactly a, a defender of human rights anywhere. Mm. Um, speaking of an actual defender of human rights, uh, Jimmy Lai, who sits in prison, um, is this is uh, the story of Jimmy Lai, uh, in your view, is that getting enough attention, particularly as he's uh, scheduled to uh, basically go on a show trial and be in prison for the rest of his life, more likely than not? Um, it's it's getting some attention, but I think it certainly deserves a, a, a lot more. I mean, he is somebody who um, is a, a symbol, really, of, of Hong Kong's, uh, uh, what, what uh, we saw in the past in Hong Kong in terms of its dynamism, its entrepreneurialism, uh, and its, uh, most importantly, its freedom and uh, being one of Asia's most open societies uh, in the last couple of years has been uh, dramatically and rapidly turned into uh, one of Asia's most repressive cities and, and, a, and a police state. And um, he has, uh, in the latest twists in his case, uh, he has even been, it seems, denied the right to choose um, his own lawyer. He, he chose a British uh, senior uh, lawyer to represent him. Um, the Court of Final Appeal upheld his right to do so, but the Hong Kong government has asked Beijing to, in their words, reinterpret uh, the, the law. Um, and it, it looks very likely that uh, uh, he will not be represented by his, his British lawyer. Um, and so we can be sure that he will definitely not have a fair trial. He, as you say, is very likely to spend the rest of his life in prison. And uh, for, for, for what? For, for what uh, championing democracy and, and freedom. Wow. Now, the whole world has been watching as protests throughout China have been going on. And now they're relaxing COVID policies. No more QR codes, they say, to get on public transportation or testing to get into work. But what is really motivating this? Well, I, th I think it's very clear that the protests were about much more than just uh, COVID. They, uh, when you listen to what the protesters were chanting, uh, it wasn't lift COVID restrictions. It was Xi Jinping step down, CCP step down. We want freedom and democracy. So, uh, I, and they were, uh, I think, the uh, largest scale and and clearest protests for freedom uh, that we've seen in, across China since the Tiananmen Square protest of 1989. Um, and that's uh, really significant. 
And so it is significant, but where does it go? I mean, how how much impact are these protests really having on the communist stranglehold on the country? I think time will tell. Um, what I think is uh, significant is that although the protests uh, have, have largely stopped, um, the uh, Chinese authorities did actually respond to some of the demands specifically related to COVID, and they've, they've lifted many of the restrictions. Um, and that was something that was almost inconceivable to, to imagine the, the, the party giving in to uh, the demands of protesters, but they they have at least partially done so, particularly in relation to, to COVID. Um, and that will send the message that protests uh, can have some effect uh, and that the party's authority perhaps can be can be challenged in ways that we might not have imagined. Um, I think it, it also probably weakens uh, Xi Jinping's uh, status in the eyes of uh, some of the other factions in his party. Um, the long-term consequences, time will tell. How much is this responding to a popular revolt and how much of it is responding to, you know, Apple making noise about moving uh, some of its production to other countries in the in the hemisphere like uh, Vietnam? I think it's probably a combination of both. I mean, the party uh, is always nervous when when the people uh, rise up and and protest. But of course, it, it is also very um, concerned about uh, the economy and about attracting uh, foreign investment. So it, I think it would have been a reaction to, to both those factors. He is Benedict Rogers, co-founder and chief executive of Hong Kong Watch and author of The China Nexus. Benedict Rogers, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one, Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, arrogance, ignorance, and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. On this installment of Sports and Politics, uh, we go to college football and Neon Dion Sanders prime time, as you're also allowed to call him. Uh, Deion Sanders uh, just left Jackson State, where he'd been the football coach there for three years, compiling a 27-5 and record. Jackson State was the alma mater of what great Chicago athlete, Amy? Mike Singletary? Oh, wait. That's um, Baylor. Uh, was, he, was he on the, the 85 Bears? Because they haven't gotten enough recognition. Uh, he was on the 85 Bears. Um. Uh, you Al, should be embarrassed. Al, you don't know this. Al Her- oh, no, no, no. I know. Al Willie Harris. Galt. Uh, no. Uh, not Gary Fensick. He went to Yale. Uh, you know where Gary Fensick went, but you don't know where oh, this bear went to college. He's in our conference. Um, Do you know where Michael Jordan went to college? No, duh. North Carolina. <laughs> well, you, it's this is also a no, duh. Oh, I know it. No, Can I don't. just... No, you don't. Mike's got nobody helper. Wait, 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 wait. You, right, you, so you just twist. You Richard twist Dent, on this. No, um, You're going to name every 85 bear yes, except I am. Dan the greatest running back. Oh, in, Walter uh, Payton. Hello. Yes. Oh, boy. Golly. Yeah, I, uh, Unbelievable. I mean, I even worked at his restaurant. And there was. The round table? 
No, I worked at Walter Payton's 34s. Oh. It's showtime, oh. Dan. Let's get oh. up and dance. Denigrated his memory. Oh, hey, hey, but he had uh, Jackson State stuff up on the wall. I can't believe I forgot. So, Dion, uh, Neon Dion, primetime Sanders. That's a good record, 27 and 5. Uh, yeah. Well, really the, he's been, been making a lot of noise because, of course, he's a high profile, he's, you know, Hall of Famer. And, and, uh, uh, and so he brought, you know, all his star power to Jackson State and he turned the program around. And so, Jackson State is a historically black college. And so now Dion leaving to go coach the University of Colorado. Uh, has drawn some criticism from like these 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 wannabe as I always talk about the sports journalists these wannabe members of the DC press corps that need to play and promote the same identitarian politics in their banal coverage of sports that we get from the DC press corps and their banal coverage of politics. One of such individual, now that Jamil Hill has left ESPN, is Bamani Jones. And Bamani Jones had this to say about Dion's move from Jackson State, historically black college, to University of Colorado. Uh, okay, can we play that? can go take whatever job he wants, but when you come into the first job and sell the idea that you are going to be the savior of HBCUs and you are going to raise the playing field, not just for Jackson State, but for everybody else, and you're going to do it because God told you to do it. He, he the, said that. Yeah, he yeah. said that. He explicitly said that God sent him to do this. So then when you leave, yeah, people are going to ask questions about what exactly it was. Now, I don't go into the sellout place necessarily, but I do think, I mean, he's the monorail salesman from The Simpsons. He went in, he sold the big dream. Now, if you paid any attention, you knew the dream he was selling wasn't possible. It was not an achievable one that he had, but he sold it and he got people to believe it. And then he chucked the deuce and left. So, so should Sanders be uh, excoriated for not staying at Jackson State? He, he was there for three years. He won back-to-back -back SWAC championships. So I'm, what's the problem? The white man's been doing this since the beginning of time. You start out in a program that is not as, you know, wherever, whatever. It's not, you know, a, a division one. Well, no, they are division one. Uh, and you move up. You move to a bigger conference, a bigger, conference. a bigger school, a bigger contract. I mean, uh, why every are they football. ripping on him for this? And even what? Nike and Under Armour are battling over this. What, what football? What football? I mean, there's very few football coaches or coaches in any sport of uh particularly in the collegiate and the professional ranks, and that's sort of the same thing these days, that that uh, don't move around if there are bigger, better opportunities. I mean, look at look at Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU and so forth. Um, you know, bigger paydays, uh, more status, better teams, better chance to win championships, and, and all that comes with winning championships. And so I... I but you just and, and, and he sort of was said like I'm not really criticizing him. I'll probably root for him when he's at Colorado. But he, so he he thought it was his calling to go to Jackson State. He spent three years there. How is he the monorail salesman? How is he Harold Hill? He turned the program around. USA Today headline: In bolting to Colorado, Deion Sanders hoodwinked those who believed he was our coach. What, what does that even mean? That? I, I, he has a right to freedom of travel. It's not about the right. Career. It's not about the right. Is he doing something that is unethical? Did he sell the Jackson State uh, community a bill of goods? Did he 
overpromise and underdeliver for historically black colleges. I mean, I, what was the expectation? He felt compelled to go to Jackson State, which was not a high-profile program, and he apparently did a pretty damn good job. And so now that's earned him an opportunity at a bigger school and a bigger conference. So what's the problem? Why does everything have to be about the you know again forced through the prism of race and historically black college this and uh, I mean, well somebody wrote he's been our coach in the black community and the coach who has shown more light on the triumphs and struggles at historically black colleges and universities than any coach in decades. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, I remember a coach that did spend his career, I think he spent his entire career at a historically black college, Eddie Robinson at Grambling. And, and you know, he, and he brought profile to the program and profile to historically black colleges, and that's fine. I guess if Dion doesn't spend the rest of his coaching career at, at Jackson State, then he's just somehow, you know, boom, boom, Monty Jones saying, I'm not going to say sellout. When you say I'm not going to say sellout, you're saying sellout. I, I don't see it. I just, you know, if especially white, in the modern oh, in the modern era. It's like, oh, he promised a dream that was not possible and this and that. I don't even know what that means. It's just cheap racial politics. And it's, you know, and it's it's trying to pull somebody down to make them who you want them to be uh, rather than allowing them to, you know, be who they who they actually are without, uh, you know, enduring the sort of chiding from a racial perspective because they yeah, they didn't live up to the standards set by the identitarian left, which is essentially uh, who Bomani Jones is. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, just per Mike Scott's reporting. I mean, I'm all for Brittany Griner being freed from a Russian prison. She doesn't belong there. It's unjust. Of course it is. But? It's not, or it's unjust, I should say. It's a, It's a example of injustice but But paul whelan he's he's still there the michigan corporate security executive he's been jailed there for four years he stays and we exchange britney griner in exchange for britney griner we give them back victor bout yeah the russian arms dealer the lord of war yeah that's who nick cage was portraying in the lord of war um, uh, I, I, if I was Paul Whelan's huh. family, I'd feel like a slap in the face. I thought it was going to be the two for one. Then I'd feel a little bit better about this. But this is. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't I mean, difficulties, hostage exchanges. But it's like, you know, Bo Bergdahl for I mean, it's this is a little bit less than Bo Bergdahl for, you know, five Taliban terrorists. It's not quite as bad as that uh, because, again, Brittany Griner doesn't deserve to spend a decade in a Russian prison for having what marijuana products in her in her suitcase. But small amount. But Victor Bout. And as you say, uh, Paul Whelan remaining in prison. Uh, hmm. All right. Well, uh, we'll have to revisit that. I want to get to this other matter. We talked last hour about the American Academy of Pediatrics. This was in the context of COVID. These two pediatric doctors in North Carolina at Duke University who were refusing to 
do a kidney transplant for a 14-year-old girl, a Ukrainian emigre, who needs a kidney transplant because of a genetic condition that is destroying her kidney. Uh, they refuse to unless she gets the, the uh, COVID jab, even though she's already had COVID and recovered. So that's on the COVID. But the American Academy of Pediatrics, there's another problem there. Well, there's many problems there. The fundamental problem is it's a political organization, not a medical one. Um, and it's a medical one that boasts like 70,000 members in the United States and around the world. It's a guideline setting, standard setting organization for pediatricians. So you might want to kick the tires a couple of times uh, and make sure if you don't have a pediatrician that uh, you have confidence in for your kids, if they're still of that age, then you double and triple check when you do select one. Just so you know, pediatricians can see your kids up until they're 26 years old. Sure, because that's, that's the, up until they could, they have to get off mom and dad's insurance. Right. Yeah, up until they have the requisite uh, brain development to commit knowingly commit crimes. Or you know, to know what's right from wrong, yeah, as Tim Evans told says. Us last time, I thought it was the last one because he's 18. They're like, no, no, I can see him until he's 26. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, but, so they had a conference in California, the American Academy of Pediatrics. And at the annual conference, one of the presenters was a Dr. Marissa Ladinsky, who is an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, the Blazers. She also runs the gender clinic there. And this is what she had to say about a 17-year-old teenager named Leela Alcorn who committed suicide. And in the final days of 2014, a local 16-year-old young lady, Leela Alcorn, of trans experience, stepped boldly in front of a tractor trailer ending her life. What? Her suicide note written to post on social media about an hour after her death, went viral, literally, around the world. Now, Leela was not my patient, but I took care of hundreds of her classmates at Kings Mills High School. But each day on the way to work, I passed that spot where this teen boldly ended her life, pleading Boldly ended her life, boldly stepped in front of a tractor trailer. This actually uh, drew outrage from some colleagues, some other pediatricians who were in attendance, and one of them filmed the statement so and posted it so that people would be aware of this, uh, causing Ladinsky to sort of backtrack from what she said. But how do you mistakenly, as she says she did, mistakenly glorify suicide like that? Boldly stepped in front of a tractor trailer. Boldly ended her life. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You can also reach us all the time at on our text line six four six three six. Type in D A. Then a quick comment. She she regretted her choice of words. It was never my intent to glorify self harm. Really, how does a a, a doctor say the same thing twice? And the whole and, and the whole point of the story was what, by the way, I, the story that I was reading says she's 17 years, say 16, but w- whatever age her was, ever, whatever age she was, the um, how, how does she accidentally say that to, to me? There's um, it's indicative of something. 
they need mascots. This is a way to, for her to say that uh, she essentially sacrificed herself for the cause. She's a martyr, right? And if we don't do what I do every day, which is to push kids into tra- to tra- who have uh, gender dysphoria into transitioning, into delaying their puberty, into mutilating themselves, if, if we don't do that, then more kids are going to kill themselves. By the way, interestingly, Washington Free Beacon had the story. Interestingly, the American Association of Pediatrics, yeah. the website they have for parents, healthychildren.org, explicitly warns that glorifying suicide can have a contagious effect and inspire others to take their own lives. And here she is at a conference glorifying doing exactly suicide. that. Because it's not about best practices. And whatever the American Academy of Pediatrics said a couple of years ago, just as we talked with COVID and school closures, whatever they said a couple of years ago, forget it. If the politics changes or when the politics changes in the direction that a majority of these pediatricians seem to want it to go, then forget what the sort of best uh, evidence based uh, medical opinions are. Forget all that. We have an agenda. We got a text message. Every parent of a trans child has been told that their child will commit suicide if not immediately affirmed. You know, they always use the same line. Yes. Better a live son than a dead daughter. Yes, that, that's exactly person. right. Yep. That's exactly right. And uh, Dr. Julia Mason, who posted this video, she I think she's in Oregon. Um, she 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 said as pediatricians. We've forgotten what we've been taught about childhood development. We've forgotten what we've been taught about suicide prevention. We're ignoring what our colleagues in Sweden and Finland and the United Kingdom have realized. We're concretizing gender ideation. Yeah. Yeah. While you're glo- And glorifying suicide in the process. Like glorifying suicide her. is unprofessional and dangerous, Dr. Julia Mason. So it's not every pediatrician, obviously. No. But... But, I mean, she was a presenter at the conference. It's not like, she, oh, this is a fringe, nobody pays attention to her. She was a presenter at the conference. She had a platform, and she's making this poor girl into some woke saint or something. Her medical license should be yanked or something. Uh, you know, I, I don't see anybody celebrating this, Dan, do you? I, I, would, I would like a little bit more um, scrutiny. Uh, I'd like a little bit more view into what she does on a daily basis at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, if I was sending my kid there. That's for sure. By the way, I mean, this just continues unabated. American Girl. You know, the The store, the super popular. Yeah, doll brand. I've bought many of those for my nieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, um, maybe you pick up one of these or maybe they already have it. What? A Smart Girl's Guide, Body Image. It's a book. It's a book that they've produced for girls age 3 to 12 that gives advice on how to change their gender without their parents' consent. The passage in the book marketed to girls aged between 3 and 12 advises, quote, If you haven't gone through puberty yet, the doctor might offer medicine to delay your body's changes giving you more time to think about your gender identity. Promotion of puberty blockers. Uh, Is there another way to read that statement? 
It also provides a list of resources for organizations children can turn to, quote, if you don't have an adult you trust. Gender joy. Messages should, uh, messages about how bodies should look are different depending on a person's gender. Girls tend to face more pressures to have thin bodies and long hair and to wear clothes like skirts, dresses, and blouses. Boys tend to feel more pressure to have a muscular body, keep their hair shot, and wear pants and shorts. Luckily, it's not your job to feel the way people expect. It's your job to be you. The way you show your gender to the world through clothes and behavior is your gender expression. Your gender expression can be feminine, masculine, or somewhere in between, and it might change. Maybe you'll experiment with bright dresses and long feminine hairstyles, or you may try baggy shorts, plaid shirts, and a buzzed haircut. Your gender expression should make you feel at home in your body. Being transgender is not an illness or something to be ashamed of. If you're questioning uh, your gender identity or if you already know for sure that you're trans or non-binary, girls age 3 to 12, if you already know for sure you're trans or non-binary, 3 to 12, talk with an adult you trust like a parent or a school counselor. That person can connect you with a specially trained doctor who can help you and your family decide what's best for your body. And then they go through pronouns. And if you don't have, an, as I said, if you don't have a trust, you, uh, an adult you trust, there are organizations across the country you, that can help you. Turn to page 95 for the resource listing and so on and so forth. Uh, with a quote here, pull quote in this page, being transgender isn't a medical transition. It's a process of learning to love yourself for who you are. What's, a pro- what's the, uh, 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 the detransitioning definition then? How do you define that? Is that a, I made a mistake and... And now I can't go back. Or in some yeah, cases, trying to go back is that I made a mistake and I was led down a primrose path by adults who didn't have my best interests at heart because they're more focused on their political agenda. If you have top surgery, you can try and go back. You'll never breastfeed again. But if you get rid of the bottom bottom surgery, you're never, ever, ever getting that back. Ever. I, again, this is I mean, I, I I don't know how to put enough emphasis on this. This is institutionalized and operationalized throughout the pediatric profession. This is not a anecdote from, you know, some pediatrician in Alabama and then there's some pediatrician in North Carolina. Institutionalized and operationalized. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I want to get back to the story we covered earlier in the show. Uh, Francis Parker, the dean of students, who was caught in an undercover interview by Project Veritas. But I, I just have to address this Brittany Griner for Victor Bout deal that just came over the transom we were talking about a bit last hour. Here's a, an example of the hot takes you're going to get. Richard Deitch is some daffy sports reporter for The Athletic. 
Okay. Here's what he said. Expect some horrible takes from newfound geopolitical experts on this story. It's inevitable. What matters is that an American citizen, a hostage in Putin's Russia, is home. Is that all that matters? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Is, all that, is that all that matters? Brittany Griner is home, and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if uh, a Marine named Paul Whelan, who's been in prison for four years, is still in Russia, that he was not part of this deal. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the implications are of releasing the Lord of War, a former Russian intel officer, Victor Bout, back to Putin, who, you know, were underwriting the defense of his invasion into Ukraine, right? You remember that. He is... uh, the number one threat in the world all of a sudden when they did, they scoffed at Mitt Romney a decade ago about Russia presenting a, a existential threat to the country. And now he's public enemy number one because of his invasion in Ukraine. And he is an enemy. There's not disputing that. But so, so then we're providing a former Russian Intel officer who was the number one, arms trafficker in the world before he was captured in in large measure by our DEA, you know, so men and women in the Drug Enforcement Administration who put their lives on the line to get Victor Bowd into an American prison. Um, that doesn't matter either. Nothing matters except what I want. There are no trade-offs in life that I want to contemplate. I just want what I want. I don't care what the cost is. <laughs> Newfound geopolitical experts. Yeah, you mean like a sports reporter? Isn't this the attitude, though, that I, I, I take this this, you know, nobody sports reporter because it's such an example of a frickin' attitude. This is the same attitude that permeated the national discussion during covid because of the covidians. I want what I want and I want it now. And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to cancel you. Well, I want what I want and I don't care what the cost is. I refuse to examine trade offs because I'm not an adult. No trade-offs. I want Brittany Grinder out of a Russian prison, too, just like any person would. Any, She's on her way home. Any rational person would. Of course you do. Of course you don't want her in a Russian prison camp. But to say there, that, that there's no cost that should even be contemplated is absurd. That is not living in the real world. I'm sorry. Just as the same conversation we had about Bo Bergdahl for five Taliban terrorists. I'm not saying this is as bad a deal, but I'm not saying it's a good one either. Larry in Logan Square on Chicago's Morning Answer. To prove uh, how much more facts do we need that Trump, I mean, uh, President Trump was a negotiator. He was skilled. Uh, Biden is a joke. Uh, Notice the timing, how they waited after the uh, uh, Georgia runoffs. This is smelly politics where we give a basketball player for a gun carrier. Horrible. Shame on Americans that didn't vote in Georgia or didn't vote in the last elections to keep this leftist uh, leadership, the Biden leadership, stronger and stronger ever. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for the call, Larry. Well, well, here is a geopolitical expert, unlike the sports reporter from The Athletic. Michael Braun, he's a former chief of operations for the DEA. He wrote in Foreign Policy magazine when the prospect of this deal uh, had been reported. This is back in August. 
I served in government for 35 years, the last four of them as assistant administrator and chief of operations for the DEA, 2004 to 2008. I had ultimate oversight over the operation that led to Bouts, Victor Bouts' arrest and incarceration. Believed to be a former officer in Moscow's military intelligence director at the GRU, Bout began dealing Soviet-made weapons in the 1990s. By 2003, he'd become the world's preeminent arms trafficker, flooding weapons to U.S.-designated terrorist organizations insurgent groups, narcotics cartels, and rogue regimes all over the world. His international enterprise could transport tanks, helicopters, and weapons by the tons to virtually any point in the world. He did particular damage in Africa, where insurgent and terrorist groups slaughtered hundreds of thousands of innocents, hundreds of thousands of innocents with weapons. This is, again, inspired the film Lord of War, by, uh, starring Nick Cage. Weapons that Bout sold to the Taliban were used against U.S. and NATO forces in Afghanistan. Great. Keeps getting better. I mean, knowing how sinister he is and uh, diabolical he is, why wouldn't they also put Paul Whelan in part of that deal? And his brother just released a statement. This time the U.S. government officials let us know in advance that he'd be left behind, unlike last April when they left him. This is David Whelan. That early warning meant that our family has been able to mentally prepare for what is now a public disappointment for us. A catastrophe for Paul. I do not know if he is aware yet, although he'll surely learn from Russian media. And we'll never know. It'll never get reported. It'll be the the, the, the province of uh, DEA and intel agencies when Bout lands back in Moscow and reconnects with Putin and ostensibly reestablishes his uh, right. his trafficking operation to international terrorist organizations and terrorist-controlled uh, governments like the Taliban in Afghanistan. To finish Ukraine. Yep. Taliban's back. You bouts back. So uh, you can, um, can't have this conversation. All we do is just celebrate that Brittany Griner has been released. That's a good thing. But at what price? And for people who don't want to contemplate the question at what price, those people are not adults. They don't live in the real world. They're spoiled children. They're ignoramuses. They're despicable. And you know what? They make this country less free and less safe. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. All right, uh, Francis Parker, the uh, Tony Lincoln Park School for the Well-Heeled Set, 40 grand a year. Uh, they've got a uh, dean of students named um, Joseph Bruno. And unbeknownst to him, he sat down to have a chat with a Project Veritas reporter. And uh, here's the topic of conversation. So I've been the dean for four years. During Pride, we do a Pride Week every year. And I had... Um, I had like our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Who is this? This is uh, an LGBTQ plus health center came in to talk to my high school students. 
they're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're looking at them. In the school? In, in a classroom. Wow. Yeah. While I'm sitting there. And we had a drag queen come in, um, pass out cookies and brownies and do photos. That's so amazing. And everybody's cool with that, like the butt plugs and the dildos. Yeah. No big complaints. Yeah. I mean, if the parents found out, but they... No. It's queer sex. This is the drag queen that came in. What's her name? Uh, Alexis Bevels. Alexis Bevels. And just hung out in my classroom. And was there... Or hung out in my office. You have so much freedom. So much... Wiggle room. So much freedom. So much money. I mean, having to do stuff. Trustees are okay with that too? They don't know. They would. It's like, we. I wouldn't even like run it by them. Like, why would I run it by them? They would be like, oh my God, that's wonderful. Like yeah, all with the kids that with the classroom 14, 18. They're like, how do you, how does this book work? How do we do, like, how does this work? Right. Um, so, yeah, that's a really like cool part of my job is I don't have to worry about stuff like that. It's wonderful. You know, have you had the conversation with your 14 year old? Uh, how, do a, how does a butt plug work yet? Because uh, if, if you don't want to, if you feel uncomfortable, not a problem. Uh, Joseph Bruno and uh, the staff at Francis Parker will have it for with your 14-year-old. And I'm sure you'll find other schools, high schools, middle schools, primary schools following suit. I've just, I don't understand this recent obsession with teaching kids how to have sex in and kinky sex and all that. That is none of their business. And it actually, actually seems perverse to me. It's like he's... He's enjoying so much talking about it. He's so excited about well, it. Wait that, a that's second. creepy. If you spend all your time or a lot of your time uh, sexualizing children, as we know K-12 through school systems do, and you spend a lot of your time talking about uh, your rainbow pride, whatever the hell, club, your uh, all these identitarian clubs and celebrating LGBTQ+, then it naturally follows that you start to talk about the behavior, don't you? Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's something. We be it's doing the whole thing is some, queer society. sex. The whole thing is something to celebrate, right? Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Pro answer line six four six three six D A Turnkey Pro text line. If it's good enough for Francis Parker, Francis Parker, which produced uh, David Mamet, Jennifer produced, Pritzker, uh, he was Jim then. Um, yeah, uh, it's good enough for your uh, kids, and it's certainly good enough for your their lesser schools, right? I just wish that Pritzker Lightfoot would have a press conference today so I could ask him about this. Is this appropriate? It's wonderful. Um, so Francis Parker, the school, has responded oh to this God. interview that their dean of students, Joseph Bruno, gave. Yeah, we're writing to let you know that one of our employees, while, while at a conference last week, was targeted by a right-wing fringe group of individuals that seeks to undermine and manipulate diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work in schools. This evening... The group showed up outside the school and attempted to confront and ambush this employee with aggressive questions. A handful of students and family members were present. Oh, no. This incident is very upsetting, and we stand in full support of our employee. We of course put, I do. We have put additional security measures in place, and we will notify the community should there be any additional activity from this group regarding the school or our employee. We advise members of our community, do not engage with any organization that fits this general profile. Yeah. Respectfully, Dan Frank, principal, and the assistant principal. Of course. So they and support you, him. They support butt plugs and dildos and, uh, and, and him. 
and they're they're well, he, they're vilifying he, he, Veritas for even bringing even doing the story. Well, he said they would. He he knows he knows who he's talking about. He knows what the the authority structure is at Francis Barker, the board, the principal. He know he doesn't need permission from anybody because they're that's where they're at. Of course, of course. So um and and it, the problem obviously is as you as you know as uh, most of our listeners know, Lincoln Park is MAGA country. And so, because this this that that response smacks right. of Jesse Smollett. Yeah, and the Asandario brothers. Yeah, I mean, you got to get I mean, all those MAGA hats around there on. Lincoln so, Avenue. so the 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 accosting Joseph Bruno. If you watch the project video, Project Veritas video, which uh, I retweeted, he's uh, sitting down in a restaurant type setting, having a a drink or, or you know drinking some beverage, in a very casual atmosphere. With a, having a conversation with the Project Veritas undercover reporter, there's no there's no accosting aggressive questions. You just heard the exchange. What's aggressive about right. that? Well, they were He's, saying that he, last night he was outside the school attempting to talk to him. So reporters have been doing that since the beginning of time. So what? Standing outside on public property, waiting for said subject to come outside. Oh. Part of their job. So 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 Project Veritas is conservative. Oh, so it's a it's a right wing organization, Fringe. and it's a. Yeah, they're, it's their violence. Asking questions is violence. They probably wanted to do a follow up. And 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 by the way, we're also taking uh, Francis Parker at their word, which I wouldn't take them at their word. Forget what may or may not happened, may or may not have happened uh, outside the school, and because we don't know, we're 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 going by their word. They could be characterizing what we actually saw as. They did. But let's say there was a follow-up interview or an attempted interview. What, what about the interview he gave? What about the where he's sitting in a restaurant setting, having a beverage, and just speaking casually with the reporter? What about that exchange you just heard? What is aggressive? Uh, what is concerning about that? He was very comfortable, and he was very well, – and he talked very freely and proudly about everything that was going on. So what's the problem? Rob in Ukrainian Village. Hey, uh, it's interesting how far we've fallen as a society. Uh, at one point in time, uh, I can remember my parents talking about a, a real crazy group called Beatles that released a song about holding each other's hand. I want to hold your hand. And there were some circles that thought that that was taboo and aggressive uh, for public displays of affection. And now, uh, you know, they're teaching kids how to shove foreign objects up the rear ends and how to do it comfortably. It's a uh, it's sick, and uh, they should be arrested, honestly. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Rob. I mean, Cabinet. some people even thought it wasn't true on Twitter. This can't be true. This is a joke. What do you mean it can't be true? It, it is it's, true. It's, it's him saying it. I mean, what, what is confusing about this? Kevin, Austin, Texas. Hey, Dan um, and Amy. I work uh, with kids at uh, Catholic school um, for RE when my kids were in grade school. And you have to take a um, a class which uh, about you know how to behave with kids, and they describe what grooming is, and this is textbook of that. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, but but you know it takes but it takes a community to groom. You know, it just takes a village to groom. I guess we should say because that's that's what this is. This this isn't this guy. This is oh, that yeah. that school and the parents. Yeah. That allow it. And to they happen. show you. <clears throat> And they show you videos, excuse me, they show you videos what grooming is. And this is like textbook. Really? It's unbelievable. Please get close to them. Yeah. I mean, it's as far as how to, uh, you know, 
show or introduce conversations about this, like, oh, it's no big deal, and how they slowly build up. It's, it's, it's completely disgusting. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Um, uh, I think this is on the Brittany Griner thing, but we'll take this call real quick. Craig uh, Cecil, uh, Oakbrook Terrace. Craig? Good morning. Good morning. I'm Craig Cecil. Cecil. And to be honest, I represent over 267 federal marijuana prisoners here. Last year on January 20th, President Trump gave me a pardon. I was serving life in federal prison because my business repaired trucks that a company used to haul marijuana. And now we're fighting for the 267 in federal prison for marijuana. But one in particular, Sam Hansen, is in federal prison serving 17 and a half years for making the cartridges that Brittany Griner was caught with. President okay. Biden could free him, you know, before lunch today if he wanted. Well, why do you That's think he's dragging concern. his Why don't we look at the people? Pardon? Why do you well, think why... Biden's not doing it? I think there's a push and a whole lot of donations from the cannabis industry that says, you know, we want to maintain our monopoly and we want to be able to put the uh, black market people in prison. So as long as they continue to prosecute the people selling marijuana illegally, you know, it, it enhances their profits and they're donating lots and lots of money, including to our state uh, officials here, because many of the big cannabis companies are based in Chicago. All right. Thanks for the call, Craig. Appreciate it. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, we broke down uh, some of the oral arguments uh, in the 303 creative case before the Supreme Court the other day, particularly some of the uh, efforts by KBJ, Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, and Sotomayor, Sonia Sotomayor, to uh, conflate uh, status with speech. Just to reset, uh, one of the more silly efforts that was made by KBJ was this using of, of a photo shoot for It's a Wonderful Life as a metaphor for uh, the issue of the graphic artist in the case not wanting to design websites that promote marriage redefinition. Take a listen. Exact same analysis to say, is the parade organizers otherwise... Ins- but otherwise- Hurley was a private association. It wasn't a public business. What I'm asking you is I have a public business. I'm a photographer. My belief is that, you know, uh, I'm doing It's a Wonderful Life scenes. That's what I'm offering, okay? I want to do video depictions of It's a Wonderful Life. And um, I'm knowing that movie very well, I want to be authentic, and so only white children and families can be uh, 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 customers for that particular product. Everybody else can, I'll give to everybody else, I'll sell them anything they want, just not the It's a Wonderful Life depictions. Um, I'm expressing something, right, for your purposes, that's speech. 
What about, uh, what's the other step? It's speech, and I can say anti-discrimination laws can't make me sell the It's a Wonderful Life package to uh, non-white individuals. In the same way, I would say, first of all, in the same way that this court, when there is a message and a status and it's overlapping, the court would say that message wins in that instance. So I don't so, think that so the I message, don't have to sell it to it. I don't think that that message is in that. Uh, for more on this, we're pleased to be joined by the plaintiff in the case, Lori Smith, 303 Creative, and her attorney, uh, Kelly Fedorik. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, Lori and Kelly, please, uh, uh, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. Um, Kelly, why don't we start with you? Because I just want to pick up on the response that uh, Kristen Wagner was offering to KBJ's hypotheticals, and I thought she did a really good job. But um, you're the lawyer with Alliance for uh, for Alliance for Defending Freedom. Um, you uh, break it down for us, uh, I'm sure, better than I can. So develop that uh, distinction that uh, Kristen was making between status and speech. Well, certainly, and I think that the most important point here is that the government should never be able to force anyone's speech and tell them what they must say or what they must must believe. Uh, rejecting an entire class of people, that is both illegal and, and deplorable. Um, and a win for Lori would never permit that kind of um, conduct. Um, so we've we've heard some misinformation regarding this case, but the, the truth about the case is that this case is about custom expression. Lori serves everyone regardless of who they are. She creates specific messages that express unique meanings um, through those, through that art. And she, the messages that she declines, she declines for everyone. So really at the heart of this case is the freedom of speech. And there's a clear distinction between speech, custom expression, something that the, the First Amendment protects, the government can't compel versus, you know, uh, conduct, something based on someone's status, rejecting an entire class of people, um, failing to ensure that they receive access to essential goods and services, which is not what this case is about. Isn't this just masterpiece cake shop, Jack Phillips, Redux? I, I don't understand why we're back here, given the Supreme Court's decision in that case. It was the same thing. I'm happy to serve uh, gay people. I'm happy to serve people of different faiths and the whole thing. What I'm not happy to do, uh, Jack Phillips, is be forced to participate in a wedding ceremony that runs against my uh, beliefs. My So I don't want to make a wedding cake for a, a same-sex wedding ceremony, but I'm happy to serve same-sex couples in any other way that is not violative of my beliefs. Don't we have the same thing here? Well, certainly the same thing is, is, is Colorado's law. Colorado is going after Jack, going after Lori, trying to censor and compel their speech. So that is the same. Uh, the, the victory we had in Masterpiece Cake Shop was based on free exercise. The Supreme Court said that Colorado had treated Jack's religious beliefs with hostility. That was impermissible. And so they that case was, was ruled on based on free exercise grounds. They never reached the free speech issue. Uh, in right. Lori's case, the court took up the free speech issue. So that's sort of the difference that we have here. Here they're looking at, can the government force artists, regardless of your beliefs, whether you agree with Lori or have different beliefs, can the government dictate to us as Americans what we can and can't say? And the answer is clearly no. And we were very encouraged coming out of argument that the majority of the justices recognize that that would be an egregious invasion of Americans' 
uh, civil rights and their ability to speak freely. Lori, how have you been handling all of this and knowing that your rights are under attack? Well, it certainly has been a six-year roller coaster, and I was also encouraged by what we heard on Monday. And I'm hopeful that the Supreme Court stands to protect not just my rights, but everyone's rights to speak and create custom artwork that's consistent with what they believe. You know, I work with people from all different walks of life. I always have. I have clients who identify as LGBT, but I simply cannot promote every message that's requested of me. Free speech is for everyone, and that protects not just me, but the LGBT web designer as well. And nobody should be forced to celebrate messages that violate their beliefs. Right. I mean, this is one of the arguments would be what would, what would the, uh, the Colorado commissars say in the case of uh, an atheist who doesn't want to be compelled to in, stay in your profession to design a website for a Catholic church or a Christian organization? Would, would they treat that atheist in the same way that they're treating you, Lori Smith? And I think the answer clearly is no. This is this is just straight up uh, political ideology at play here. Well, we even saw that during argument on Monday where the where Colorado acknowledged that they would, would allow some people to speak consistent with their belief. Um, it seemed like they were really very much targeting Lori. And I think when Justice Gorsuch talked about, so it's not about the the who, it's about the what, he really understood so well what this case is about because as Lori just mentioned, it's never, her decisions based to, to, on what to create are never based on the person requesting. It's always about the message that person is asking her to, to, to help create and, and celebrate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, Lori, uh, is this a situation like di- how did this all start six years ago? Is this a situation where somebody made a complaint like sort of what they did with Jack Phillips, where it's like he was known to be like a, a man of faith, a Christian faith. And um, and you had gay rights uh organizations or individual activists really target him to try and jackpot him. Is that what happened in your case as well, do you think? Well, I have had requests to create custom artwork for same-sex weddings. And what's very clear is that if I create custom, unique, one-of-a-kind websites and graphics and expression that's consistent with my faith that the state of Colorado will come after me and punish me in a way that they've they've done with Jack and we've, we've seen that. So uh, deeply concerned that the state feels they're within the power to censor and compel my speech. So I took a stand to protect not only my first amendment rights, but everyone's first amendment rights. Everyone should be free to control the content of their own speech. Right. Whether your views on marriage are similar. Right. But, but, but how did you get on the state's radar in the first place? Well, my case and Kelly could speak to this as well, but my case is a, a pre-enforcement challenge, which means I I don't have to sit around and wait to be punished before I raise the concerns of the injustice in Colorado. I, I don't want to wait to be punished like they've done with Jack Phillips. The right to speak mm-hmm. freely is guaranteed to each of us. You know, when I became an artist, I didn't surrender my First Amendment right to speak freely. I'm hopeful that the court will do the right thing and protect everyone's right to do just that. Yeah, I said no. That okay. That 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 makes sense. And 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 this is important. I'm uh, just to reiterate, Kelly, what you were saying before is, 
we talked about this actually when the the court handed down their decision in the Jack Phillips case that they could have gone further than they they did, uh, and it, I think some justice wanted to to tackle the free speech issue, but they. Uh, the decision was more narrow just on freedom of conscience. And that's that's an important sort of point to uh, just make again, because people, I think, are confused about you know, why why we're back here sort of arguing the same right. things. Right. Well, and that's right. I mean, challenging unjust laws is a hallmark of civil rights litigation. Um, no one should have to watch their freedoms disappear or face crippling fines before asking the court to, to help and to intervene. And so Lori made that courageous decision back in, in 2016. This was before Jack's case had even reached the, the U.S. Supreme Court at the time because she saw this pattern in practice being demonstrated by Colorado of going after people based on, on their beliefs. And she didn't want to, to wait to have to endure what, you know, what Jack's had to endure. So, so certainly a lot is at stake, not only for Lori, but for everyone across this country you know, in terms of being able to continue to to have that freedom to dialogue and and to discuss and to think and to create consistent with with the core of, of who we are. And you mentioned the atheist earlier. You know, this is so true for anyone, whether you're the Democrat speechwriter who doesn't want to write for a Republican you know party, whether you're the pro-abortion photographer who doesn't want to celebrate a pro-life rally. I mean, we all have such different and diverse beliefs in this country. That's what makes our country so unique and that's why we have the First Amendment to protect that freedom of speech. Well, we just had a, an incident in uh, Virginia, sort of a Sarah Huckabee Redux a Family Foundation, which promotes uh, the respect for life and traditional marriage, uh, was denied uh, service at a restaurant in Richmond. They were going to have an event there. The people at the this restaurant in Richmond found out what the Family Foundation stands for, and they said, well, we don't agree with you so we're not going to accept your reservation for this event you want to do okay that's perfectly fine right i mean ultimately at stake in Lori's case it, it really the distinction here is really when it comes down to speech and what what is speech and and in Lori's case colorado even agreed that every website she creates is custom it's unique and expresses a unique message they conceded as pure speech. They also conceded that she served everyone, including those who identify as LGBT, and yet they still claim the power to censor her speech. And that that is what should really terrify all of us, that we could see a government having that kind of power. I mean, that's why even the Tenth Circuit dissent said this is unprecedented. This is an existential threat to freedom um, to compel someone's speech like that. And And so... Uh, when the government steps in and tries to start telling, you know, telling us what to think and what to say, uh, that's 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 truly a, a, a scary moment and mm-hmm. one where we must not allow that. And Lori, I'm sure you've had a lot of support from friends and family, but have they have you had any threats against oh, you? Of course, I have. Yeah, over the last six years, and certainly within the last couple months, especially as we've headed to the to the court, I've experienced death threats and. You know, threats of bodily harm. My home security has been questioned. I have a security system on my home. I've had to put my child's school on alert. My clients have been harassed. People are continually trying to hack into my website. What's hard for me is that I, I see these things. I'm the recipient of some of these things. And what I'm standing to protect protects everyone's right to speak consistent with who they are, whether your views are the same on marriage or different. 
nobody should be forced to express messages that go against what they believe. And so I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful that the country sees and understands that a win for me in this case truly protects each and every one of us. Well, you know, some of those uh, purported purveyors of love and tolerance, <laughs> that is not their view, unfortunately. They don't want to live in a free society. They don't understand how it can boomerang on them if they attempt to impose their views on others. That's the, that's the rub here, isn't it? Um, Lori Smith and Kelly Fedorik. Uh, Lori is the graphic artist and website designer. 303 Creative, that's before the high court in this case we're uh, talking about. And uh, Kelly, senior counsel with Alliance for Defending Freedom. And they are defending Lori Smith's freedom and all of ours. Uh, ladies, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Good luck at the high court. Thank you. Thank you for having Thank us. Much. Thank you. And they both joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's morning answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.